Welcome to Thriving with Mental Illness, a podcast with real talk, an open and honest conversation about issues surrounding mental health. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. I'm Mikkel Buck, author, public speaker, and suicide survivor who's lived with mental illness for over 20 years. And with me is my guy, Adam. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Uh, before we get started, you know what should we what should we tell them about uh, what happened? What's happened recently? We had the Super Bowl. We did. That was interesting. And we hosted. We hosted. I <laughs> hosted a party. Granted, it was my dad. He yes. was the only one who came we, over. Mikkel and I hosted <laughs> her dad. We did. All three of us. Yes, but I was a mad cooking hostess uh, yeah. all weekend. I made a bunch of Super Bowl food and. Uh, Saturday, we, we've been living our best empty nesters life this week. We've been going out with friends and hosting parties and doing all sorts of things without the kids. You better be careful. They might get a different idea of what we're talking about. <laughs> For us, this is, we're not throwing parties like most people think of throwing parties. Yes, we invite my father over and then we lay on the couch and watch TV. That's, that's the extent of our raging party. Yes, but nonetheless, we have been social. We have been social. We also, like, I just have to throw this in there because I've not made any secrets about how I feel about cooking, right? Everybody is well aware that I do not like to cook. We do it out of necessity, whatever. It happens. But we avoid it mostly at all costs if we can. So my friend invited me over on Saturday for a class that she had signed up for on how to cook steak. And she asked me if I wanted to come. And I was like, oh, gosh, a cooking class. <sighs> it's going to take a lot of energy. All right. That's fine. But I really like my friend. And I had been wanting to spend some time with her. So I'm like, OK, absolutely. I'm signing up to be with you. And if cooking is our activity, then that's fine. That'll be fine. So then she texts me. I don't know, like the morning of, and she's like, so um, here's the thing. I just found out it's not just a steak cooking class. It's a full meal class. So we're making gnocchi from scratch and chocolate mousse from scratch, and, and we're doing our steaks and, you know, brown butters, like this whole thing. So anyway, she said to invite you, and she invited her boyfriend. So we all got together and had a fun couple's afternoon and had an amazing meal that took three freaking hours to make. Three hours. So it was a Zoom call. So yeah. she had the Zoom uh, video up on the screen, on her TV screen. We're in the kitchen, and we have this person, this chef, that's going through uh, fairly quickly. Yes. In terms of instructions. Like, you and do realize we're all remedial, right? <laughs> you know that, right? So it's like a cooking drill sergeant. She's just like barking out <laughs> orders. And I'm like, wait, what? What was so that? funny? We were like <laughs> chopping and just so fast. We were like running around the kitchen so fast trying to keep up. But there's like four of us, and I yeah. was I manned the TV for the instructions most of the time, and then I would convey the instructions to those in the kitchen. Yeah, where we all ran was, around like maniacs with knives and cutting boards and yeah. and different uh, food items. So, but it, it, definitely it, a group effort. It was. We would not have made it without all four of us. No. But it, it was so fun. It was so fun. I've, I've really been wanting to do something with them. So it was super fun to do it. Yeah, it was. I agree. Yeah. In conclusion, we approve. Yes. And well, our steak was all right. I think I overcooked a little bit, but I think I understand how to yeah. not do that next we time. We know how to fix it. Yes. And we never knew how to fix it before. And right. now we do. So helpful, good, good. helpful information. Good, good. 
So today, you know, we always say there are no topics off limits and blah, blah, blah. We talk about anything. Yeah. Why don't you introduce our topic and, and why we've selected this topic? So today is one of those days. Like in the past, we've said it before, like this, this isn't a religious podcast, but religion is a part of our lives. Like we're religious people and that's important to us. And so we've, this is not a discussion we've ever had, but we've gotten so many questions about how mental illness affects faith and how it affects your connection with God. And so we thought we would veer there today because like you said, we do say no topics off limits and this is a question we get asked all the time. So mm -hmm. it's definitely worth having a discussion because there is a very real effect um, between the two. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very real thing. And faith is an important part of many people's lives. And it's not to everybody. Right. And if it's not but, important, then you can skip this podcast and join us next week. And that's <laughs> fine too. We won't be offended. But for a lot of people, it just brings purpose and meaning and and really happiness generally to their life. Um, I'm sort of reminded of um, a scripture in the New Testament, and it says uh, Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Um, so really, this is saying, you know, when you're connected with God, you feel love, joy peace on all, all of these sorts of things. Uh, so that's what initially I think draws people and, and to faith and to God and to church and to religion. Um, and they establish this connection with God that, that brings them peace and comfort. But when you experience mental illness, you actually feel the opposite of all of those things. And it really can be something that, um, I mean, it has an effect on your faith. It has an effect on how you feel about it, the effort you want to put in, what you're getting out of it. Because a lot of times when you're experiencing these heavy symptoms of mental illness, you're not getting out the same things that you did before. So like, it really is a choice of, you know, is this payoff worth it? Is this, I'm not feeling all these, these wonderful feelings that I felt before mm -hmm. and I'm still doing the same thing. So yeah. like, how, how do I reconcile that? Because when mental illness is not managed properly, there's no joy. No. There's no happiness. There's not. There's really no inner peace. Mm -mm. All of that is missing. And so, you know, somebody can conclude that their relationship with God is broken. Yeah. Well, because I think in the past, like, I have many years of living with mental illness. So I have experienced all of these things you know, some of them multiple times. So, you know, it's not a surprise to me, but the first time through, like my very first time when I very first started experiencing mental illness symptoms and like I stopped feeling all of these things, I did feel like it's because I am no longer alone. Like I, I know that connection with God is broken. It felt like that. It felt like he was missing from my life and I was doing all of the same actions that I had done before that, you know, I was still going to church and praying and reading in my scriptures and all those things, but I did not feel that connection at all. It felt, it felt very hollow and I felt very alone and it went on for quite a long time. And I did not realize in the beginning that those feelings are symptoms of mental illness. Those feelings are not indicative of a broken relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of time in religion and church, um, you're taught that when you do the good things, you feel connected with God and when you for when you keep the commandments, you feel connected with God. When you break the commandments or when you sin, then you don't 
feel connected. And so sometimes that simplistic way of viewing things can cause problems because if you're not feeling those things, then what do you conclude? Yeah. You must be sinning in, in some way. Well, there are two things that I want to talk about in response to that. The first thing is like people who are religious know that feeling like that sickness in your stomach when you've done something really, you feel like you've sinned, right? That's, you feel that deep down, like whether it's a mistake, whether it was something on purpose, whether like everyone at some point in their life has done something that like gives them that sick, sick feeling, the pit in their stomach, like, oh gosh, what did I just do? Mental illness feels like that all the time. And like, that's the most relatable way that I can explain to other people what mental illness feels like from the inside. And so, you know, there's that component of it. And then there's the other component. When you go to church, when you seek direction from your religious leader, from your pastor, from your rabbi, from your bishop, whoever that person is, many times if they don't understand or have experience with mental illness, they give advice. Like you explain your symptoms, how you're feeling. You know, I don't feel connected. I feel, you know, terrible inside. I'm not feeling love, peace, and joy. And instead of them hearing mental illness symptoms, they hear sinning symptoms if that makes sense. So the advice that they give you is the advice that they would give to somebody who's not making good decisions in their life that's leading them to feel like that. And so they'll tell you, you know, well, have you tried praying more? Have you tried reading your scriptures? You know, have you tried doing these things when those, those things aren't what's causing that feeling. Mental illness is what's causing that feeling. And I, I wish that like it's getting better and I'm starting to hear different Leaders in our church say this, and I've read articles from other churches that say this, like there's a more, more understanding of mental illness and in this discussion, mm-hmm. you know, of how sometimes you, you feel that connection is broken, but it has nothing to do with behavior or what you are or aren't doing. It just has to do with mental illness not being treated properly yeah. and not being managed. In other words, it could be a misdiagnosis. Right. You know, there, there is spiritual illness that religious leaders try to help the people in their church or their congregation through a spiritual illness. Uh, But mental illness is not a spiritual illness. Right. And many, many people at church misunderstand that and give you advice for a spiritual illness. And it it just makes you feel worse Yeah. because you like you just, I know for me, and I guess I can't speak for everyone. I have talked to a lot of people about this and many people have very similar experiences as me, but my own experience, it makes it so much harder to go to church and to keep doing all of these things because I already felt like, am I okay? Is there like, it's already hard enough to reconcile. Okay. This is mental illness. This is something I'm dealing with in my life. How do I feel about that? And you know, a lot of people in the beginning, it's hard to accept a mental illness diagnosis anyway. Like if you don't have the understanding that it's a physical nature, that it's a brain illness, like all these things that we talk about now, like it's a learning process. And in the very beginning, a lot of people don't understand that. And so when you have people in lessons or over the pulpit or whatever in your that are teaching you at church and they say, if you want to feel happy, if you want to feel peace, all you got to do is make good choices. Like that's not true for people with mental illness. So it makes you feel very isolated and very alone. And it's hard to keep going and hearing that when it like that, those answers drive you away and make you feel worse. They don't make you feel better. 
I remember early on when we were trying to figure out the whole managing mental illness with you, I remember you telling me that sometimes you just felt like there was, like you felt the guilt. Yeah. Of, like you had done something really, really wrong, but you didn't know what, and you didn't know how to change it, but you yeah. just felt like that. And so it, it was hard for you to, to understand that it wasn't something spiritual, that it wasn't something because that was the only explanation I'd ever had up to that point in my life that would explain those feelings. And, and so that's why, like, that's the only thing I could relate it to. And that's why when I sometimes try to explain how mental illness feels to other people, I'll use that analogy because that's what it feels like. And then for me, like, especially in the beginning, for me, I would sit and rack my brains. I'm like, what in the world did I possibly do that was wrong, that would make me feel like this. And I would just sit and ruminate and go over and over in my head and I would lay awake at night. And, you know, the answer was nothing. There was nothing. That's just what mental illness feels like. Or even worse, you, you nitpick every single thing you've ever done and try to identify all the bad things that you possibly could have done that is causing this. And, and the reality is, even if you've done made mistakes in the past, it has nothing to do with that's why not you're what's feeling. causing the feeling. Yeah, it's and, important that people know that. Yeah, don't try to look for a different cause and effect relationship. I think it's hard because in our life, you know, in my life leading up to this, there was always a cause and effect, and mental illness doesn't operate that way. Like, there's not a cause and effect to your feelings. Your feelings are just there. Sometimes they're telling you something, and sometimes. It's just a symptom of the mental illness, and it's very hard to decipher what feelings are telling you the truth and what feelings are not. I know we've we've kind of touched on this before, but it's it's the same thing. Like when I first started experiencing mental illness, it just felt like something was so wrong in my life, so wrong. And I looked all around. I'm like, is it my relationships with people? Is it church? Is it my connection with God? Is it like all of these different things? And like it took a long time to sort. I questioned everything. And I think that's very common mm -hmm. for people experiencing mental illness. I hear it all the time. They just question everything around them. And a lot of people especially question their faith. And it's important to know that those things, it, it's not because of any of those things. That's just what mental illness feels like. And it sucks. And it's not fair. And it's confusing. And it's hard to sort through. But once you understand, like, these feelings are just feelings. They can be managed through different ways, but they're not telling me my relationship is broken. They're not telling me my faith isn't true. They're not telling me any of these things. Yeah. Well, and with unmanaged mental illness, a lot of times, you know, some of the symptoms are you just don't find joy in the things that you used to do. I mean, that's mm -hmm. very common. People used to like to do this, but now they don't. They stay in their room all the time. You know, the, the, the thing, you, you're just not feeling to the level that you used to feel things. Yeah. And, and so what happens when you uh, go to church and before you used to feel a certain way when yeah. you would go to church and you would feel these things and now you're going, you're doing the same things, you're going to the same place, you're hearing the same words, but you're not feeling it. Right. That can be troubling. Yeah. And that, I mean, that happened a, a lot. It just feels like, I mean, to me, it felt like I was just going through the motions and I've had you know, other people that I've talked to that have been diagnosed with depression and different things like that. But I'll go and like some weeks are better than others. There's sometimes I go and I, I sit in our big chapel and 
listen to the talks and I look all around me and people are crying and, you know, call it whatever you want, feeling the spirit, you know, being touched, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use. But like, I'm not feeling it. I don't feel it. I'm looking around. I'm like, it must be amazing. <laughs> Apparently everybody else thinks this is incredible. And to me, it's like, there's, there's nothing going on, no feeling. And so it's, it's hard to not feel like definitely the problem is me. You yeah. know, the problem is me. And the problem is, you know, my connection is broken. My relationship is broken. I'm not worthy. You know, any of those things that you want to assign it to. Or people can think if I'm not feeling it the same way that everybody around me is feeling it, then I must not belong. Yeah. This might not be the place for me. And sadly, some people just stop going. Yeah. Stop attending church. They stop doing the the things that used to bring them a connection. Well, God. it's hard when you don't feel the love and joy from it. You know, I went through this. I have years. I, I've been going to church ever since I was a little girl. My family's religious. I was raised in it. I even served a mission for my church. So, you know, I have a lot of years of experience and like, building that faith account. Right. And when I, I mean, I was in my twenties when I started experiencing symptoms of mental illness and it really wasn't until my thirties that I felt like it was, I was really struggling with that faith connection, right. Feeling mm -hmm. like my relationship with God was broken because I didn't feel any of those things. And I, I mean, it took a lot of introspection trying to figure out, you know, is my life better with, with religion or not? Yeah. And, you know, after thinking it all through, 100% my life is better with religion, even if I don't feel it all the time. And mm -hmm. so I made that choice that, you know, no matter what I choose to be in, mm -hmm. I'm in. But I did not feel it for a very long time. It wasn't like a few weeks. It was months and months. Yeah. So I understand why people stop going or choose not to continue a religious path. Uh, when you're dealing with mental illness. And I see this a lot of times, like with teenagers, they don't have years of experience, like depositing in their faith account. And so it's very common for teenagers experiencing mental health symptoms and to not, to not really have the intellectual ability to see what it's brought to them before, because they're so new in their, you know, connection to God and their, their faith account in life anyway, when you're a teenager, I mean, that builds over time, right? So a lot of times teens, they don't see the value because they haven't had all those years and they don't feel it. And it's so hard to continue to go when you don't feel it. Well, now in hindsight for you, you know that over time it gets better. Right. You start to be able to feel things more as you manage it and you know in your book and you talk about managing mental illness and thriving with it because it is possible for the weight to be lifted and for you to start feeling those feelings feeling joy in your life again feeling love feeling peace but it's not an overnight thing no and so when you've got months potentially and months in between feeling nothing and back to feeling again while you're working through meds, you're working through lifestyle changes, you're, you're working through a lot of stuff that's not quick. What do you do? You know, how do you, how do you keep doing, uh, or why do you keep doing the, the, the things to, that uh, contribute to your connection and faith in God during that difficult time? Honestly, you know, the whole thing that I talk about in my book, managing mental illness and the energy budget and all of these things, like, even if it only adds 
a few drops to my bucket. Like a lot of people don't want to manage their sleep. They don't want to stick to a bedtime. They don't, you know, exercise is hard, so they don't want to be dedicated to it. I just feel like I need every single ounce of help that I can possibly get to fight this and to manage it and to get through and and to be able to thrive because ultimately that's what I want. And so for me, doing religious things and going to church, even though I wasn't feeling it, were things that I felt like were still putting drops in my bucket. And like I said, I will do anything. If it's going to help me even a little bit, I'll do anything. And I felt like church was one of those things. But that was an intellectual choice, not a feeling choice, because the feeling really wasn't there. Yeah. You know, the analogy I think of is, you know, when we had a garden in the back. Yeah. When we had our... That one summer. That one summer. Where where all we could grow was onions. In Arizona, (laughs) the the soil's not great. The The weather's hot. And we planted seeds and we thought we were going to do this with the kids and we planted all of our seeds and, and then we had to water, you know, cause, and, and we watered by hand until we could see stuff was happening. But I remember going out there every day and you just see dirt and you're pouring water on. And sometimes it'd be easy to say, this is not working. Yeah. Nothing's so, happening. No, I, I don't see anything happening. So I'm going to not water. And I think the same thing is true. There are certain things that you just have to keep doing. And when you do them, eventually the sprout pops up. Yeah. And and so there is a certain amount of truth that when, you know, when you're really down with mental illness, there is, there are some things that you just go through the motions. Mm -hmm. Like you go through the motions of getting up, you go through the motions of, you know, addressing your life. You go through the motions of taking care of your kids. For me, I went through the motions of going to church and, you know, keeping up on our religious practices. But it's part of the span of recovery and managing while you're figuring out meds and lifestyle. There is some that really is just going through the motions. Well, doing the things that you know will be healthy for you in the long run. Right. It'll add to your long-term happiness. Are these good things that I want in my life? And that's a personal decision for everybody. Right. And for you, you decided yes. For me, I decided yes. Now, the other, you know, challenge sometimes with, um, you know, going to a church or being religious is a lot of times churches, they're all about, I mean, really churches are created to help and serve and minister to the needs of others. And, and so there's a lot of service opportunities. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of people asking you to step up and help and a lot of, yeah, a lot of that. And so that can be also be difficult. Somebody with, you know, even if they, they decide I'm going to go to church, I'm going to sit there, even though I might not be feeling it right now, I'm committed to doing that. But then you've got a bunch of people asking you to do more and more and more and more, which is not going to be <laughs> beneficial for you. So, you know, how do you manage that component of the, you know, expectation? They're not expectations. I think maybe it's more of our internal expectations. No, there are very real invitations that happen. And I remember (laughs) being very angry for like a few, a few stretches there. And I would like come home from church and I'd be steaming mad. And you're like, what the heck is your deal? Like, why are you so mad? And I was like, in our ladies meeting today, they said, we're all going to read this these scriptures together and we're all going to talk about it at the end of the week. And they left me with an assignment and I'm not doing it. And you're like, okay, fine. Don't like, who cares? Why? I'm like, but I just felt like everybody was telling me all the things I had to be doing. 
Like you have to be doing this. You have to be doing that. We want you to be doing this. Go visit this person, take food into this person. And all like, I was barely holding it together. Right. Yeah. Like doing all of those extra things was way too much. And you're like, why do you feel like you have to fight all the time? And I said, I, I, because I do have to fight all the time. Mm -hmm. I have to fight until every single person know. And then people are like, well, not today. Well, how about tomorrow? Can you do it tomorrow? Not tomorrow. Well, how about this weekend? Like the answer is no, ever, never for the rest of my life. I will never do this. So no is my answer. And it's really hard to say that in a nice churchy way. Yes. So there's really two components to that. One is a lot of times these are invitations from other people to invite you to do things. But they feel like assignments. Right. So number one, they could be invitations that you're viewing as expectations falsely. Or the people in church could be honestly setting expectations and they're not as much invitations. Uh, So uh, there's a combination of everything. Right. But that's another reason why sometimes uh, people that are experiencing mental illness have a hard time going to church because you feel like you're going to get more. Well, every time you go, you get asked to do more and more. You get asked. And like, if you just don't go, nobody will ask you to do anything. And then I can avoid (laughs) the whole, like trying to figure out how to say no gracefully. Although I did, uh, if you need this reference, you can go back and listen to episode number four, The Art of Saying No Without Looking Like a Jerk. And there are many tricks to saying no. And thank you so much for the invitation. That's just not something I'm going to be able to do right now. But thank you so much for thinking of me. Like there are so many gracious ways. And like I was not gracious in the beginning. I was always like fighting. No. Why are you asking me that? No, I can't do it. No. And now I know how to be lovely, but still say no, because I still say no to most of the things. Well, and, you know, saying no is one thing. That's the first step. But then the second step is not feeling bad about saying no. Right. And feeling like you're a terrible person, because a lot of times if you grow up in religion, the idea is the more you do, the more you serve, that's what generates your... Like, that's how you become more like Christ. Yes. That's yeah. how that's how you become better. And so if you're not doing those things, then internally you can start to think, I'm kind of a terrible person. Yeah. And and so you got to get over those, all of that, to be happy and to stay. Yeah. Um, but the involved. other thing of that... I I think we kind of talked about this before. This was either in something that I taught or this is something that we talked about on the podcast. I can't remember which, but, but you, I've learned that I need to ask myself, like, what are we trying to accomplish here? When someone comes in and says, Hey, will you like go babysit their kids for the afternoon and make dinner for them? I'm like, no, the answer is no, that I won't. But, but what are we trying to accomplish is what we're trying to accomplish. Like giving her a break is what we're trying to accomplish. Just making her feel loved because if all that we're trying to accomplish is letting her know that we care, then I could just get a chocolate bar out of my stash of 40 chocolate bars in the drawer and go over and visit on the porch. Like I have energy to do that almost all day, every day. Yeah. Like I will always do that. And I always like to serve people, but it has to be in ways that spend very little energy. It can't be, it can't be in a way that, you know, I watch all of your kids for the rest of the day and, and cook dinner for your family. Like yeah. that's too big of a price tag for me. So there are ways that you can still serve if that's meaningful for you. I know it's meaningful for me. That's why I do it. That's why I looked around for ways that I could serve that weren't going to overspend me. But, you know, it's something for people in church to be aware of, too. Like when you're asking other people, you don't know where everybody's at. You don't know where their energy levels are. You don't know how they're feeling. You don't know what they're dealing with. So 
you know, maybe be careful in all the invitations that you're extending or expectations that you're setting. Or allow people to say no. Yeah. If, if for whatever reason it doesn't fit with uh, where they are in life uh, without trying, well, why not? And no. what if we did this? And yeah, don't ever I... ask why. Just take it and run. Like, you're not, no problem. Thanks so much. We'll catch you another time and then move on. But I've also noticed that when you say no, you will look for a way to say yes in a different way. Yeah, I do. To serve. Because you don't, you don't just say no to everybody and say, I hate you all and I'm not going to serve. <laughs> you suck! <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want to give the wrong opinion. But but you look for something that you can do and that you want yeah. to do. So. But you know what? When I wasn't feeling good, there really wasn't anything that I could do. My answer yeah. really was, I'm so sorry I'm not able to do it this time. Mm-hmm. The answer is just no. And if you're in that spot, that's fine to be in that spot. Yeah. Just know you won't be there forever. So, you know, you can think about it in the future, but don't, if, if you're not there at the moment, you can say no at the moment and not have to offer up anything else. I think that's the key is just realizing this is just for right now. Yeah. It doesn't mean like for the next 40 years, you're going to have to say no to everything. Yeah. It's just right now. It's not a good time. And, you know, you just have to focus on the basics, the very, very basics. Yeah. And, and that's okay if you're at that spot right now. Yeah. You know, there was something else that I was thinking about, too. I was asked to teach a a lesson about mental illness in our ladies meeting. So I taught the lesson and I remember I was kind of explaining how mental illness feels, how sometimes it feels like you've sinned and just you can't like I didn't feel that connection. I didn't feel the spirit anymore in my life. And I remember there was one lady that raised her hand and she was very troubled by this. And (laughs) she I think she just didn't understand. She's like, well, if you were at your lowest, like if, isn't that when God would help you the most? Like why, why wasn't he helping you? For sure. He was there. Like it would had to have been, there's something that you were missing there. If God wasn't feeling like that. And I, and I've thought a lot about that because I've talked to other people who also feel the same way. Like why I don't understand why you wouldn't feel that because obviously he was there. And like, I don't, I don't know what to say other than I didn't feel it. He mm-hmm. wasn't there. And I've thought about it a lot since. And I've realized that it's not that he wasn't there. It's just that that cloud, that ceiling that just blocks all of that depression and all of those hard feelings in like that love and spirit just can't get through. But yeah. it's not that it's not there. It is there, but you, there's sometimes you, you can't feel it. Right. So so like putting up an umbrella in the rain. Yeah. The rain's all around you. The rain's not going to get through. But you're not feeling it at yeah. the moment. Um, and that's that it, that's an important visual, you know, for people to understand because a lot of times they they feel like God isn't around, that he's not paying attention, that he doesn't care. He's left you all alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's hard, and it's not going to be forever, but there are times when that's... Yeah. And know, I just want people to know, like having been all the way through it. And, you know, I'm happy to say that I'm back in a, in a position now where I do feel it again. If, and it feels like it doesn't feel the same as what I always did before mental illness, but it definitely makes my life better. I definitely feel love. That's why I choose to do it all the time because it makes my life better. And I just, I want people to know that, you know, God is still there, even if you don't feel it right now and you are worthy of it, and it is worth keeping in your life. If it's, if it's something that's been important in the past, don't give it up just because you can't feel it at the moment. Well, I have a, a favorite quote I was just going to share. Your Heavenly Father loves you, each of you, 
that love never changes. It is not influenced by your appearance, by your possessions, or by the amount of money you have in the bank account. It's not changed by your talents and abilities. It is simply there. It is there for you when you're sad or happy, discouraged or hopeful. God's love is there for you whether or not you feel you deserve love. It is simply always there. So that's what we're talking about. It's always there. And to just hang on to that idea and that concept can get you through some really difficult yeah. times. Yeah. But I think the, uh, you know, the important point is that faith in God is something worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And just like anything, you know, a good marriage, you have to fight for a good marriage. You have to fight for things that are valuable in this life. And faith in God is no different. And there are going to be challenges, but it's worth pushing through. It's worth being patient. It's yeah. worth, um, you know, going through the motions, if that's what that's it takes for a little Managing bit. Managing mental illness doesn't have to mean that you don't feel those feelings right. anymore. Like you can have both, but it probably will take some time to work through. Well, and one final thing, um, medication plays an important role mm-hmm. because sometimes um, without medication, you're not going to feel these feelings or sometimes with certain medications. Sometimes medications block feelings too. Yeah. So, so there's a whole, so, and that's something to like, you know, talk to your psychiatrist about because you can take smaller doses or, you know, there are things to do, but if you're, if you're not feeling anything for a long time, maybe talk to the psychiatrist and make some tweaks and they can help you with that. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for this non-traditional discussion for us. Uh, we're glad that you were here. If you would like to read more about managing mental illness, you can get my book, Thriving with Mental Illness, on Amazon. If you like this podcast, rate it and share it with a friend. If you have questions that you would like to submit or topics that you would like to see covered, you can submit them on Instagram at Thriving with Mental Illness or on Facebook, Mikkel Buck. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.